to Romans chapter 12, studying the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, we want you to not only hear the Word, but see it with your own eyes. So just flag one of the guys coming up the aisles with Bibles, and they'll give you one. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Romans chapter 12, and uh, looking uh, two verses this morning, verses 13 and 14. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the knowledge it gives us uh, that we would an understanding that we would never in a million years about life, about what's important, about how to live, Lord, that we would never come up with it on our own. Thank you for the wisdom that's found in your word. And as your children this morning, we bless you for the life that your wisdom has produced within us, the quality of life, incredible. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to not only know your truth and your wisdom, but to live it. And we pray for these two simple verses, Lord, that you've included in your word, something you want to speak right from your throne into our lives as a church and into our individual personal relationship with you this morning. And we pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord, your servants here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In verses 9 through 16 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul continues his description of a life that has been presented to God as a living sacrifice and focusing specifically upon what our relationship with one another is to look like uh, as Christians. And here he uh, continues his series of exhortations by declaring distributing to the needs of the saints. And he is telling us that we're to distribute uh, to the needs of our fellow uh, Christians. I think it is uh, good to remember that, as we mentioned last week, that a very, very significant number of Christians living in the world today uh, live under the constant threat of persecution. Uh, 250 million or so, that was the latest uh, estimate from uh, Open Doors Ministry. And uh, what is true of those uh, 250,000 is true of uh, virtually all Christians in the ancient world from the time of Paul and, and moving forward. It was a difficult time uh, to be a Christian. A lot of persecution was going on and uh, and to realize that even today, uh, the overwhelming majority of Christians living today in the world, they do not enjoy the kind of material prosperity and uh, uh, opportunity that we as Christians have in the United States of America. Uh, there isn't the wealth, there isn't the uh, jobs, there isn't the kind of pay that we receive. Uh, there isn't uh, Social Security, there aren't retirement plans and uh, uh, unemployment benefits, there isn't a safety net for them. And so 
when natu uh, natural uh, catastrophes occur or emergencies or persecutions or they're uh, being driven out of the country that they're living in as is happening throughout uh, the Middle East. Uh, so often the Christian is at the absolute bottom rung in terms of being looked after or a concern uh, for them. In other words, if Christians won't look out for other Christians, uh, in many, many cases, no one else in the world will. Now, uh, Christians are without a doubt, and this is uh, historically true and, and can be uh, proven uh, in, in the, by those that study these things even today, without a doubt, the most generous people in the world. And we are generous on the basis of the Holy Spirit within our lives, conforming us into the image of Christ. And then also, because we take seriously uh, Jesus' encapsulation of uh, the entire Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, into two commandments, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. But it doesn't end there that we are also to love our neighbor as ourself. And so, in our desire to love our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus commanded us, we tend to give generously to all kinds of needs, locally, worldwide. And uh, it might be, on one hand, kind of supporting our uh, local gospel mission and their work with the homeless locally, or whatever agencies are responding uh, to the latest catastrophe, or tsunami, or hurricane, or earthquake that has occurred uh, somewhere uh, in our country or all around the world. But it is important for us as Christians to understand that meeting the material needs of our fellow Christians, that that is to be uh, our highest priority in a world that is filled uh, with this kind of need. And so when a hurricane or a tsunami uh, hits somewhere in the world, the necessity of finding out uh, what is the need of the Christians that are located there and to make sure that they are taken care of and then when they are taken care of to move on uh, beyond that to uh, address broader needs that are occurring in people's lives. Again, because in much of the world and really all around the world, it just simply is a matter of degree to which it's true. Uh, but if Christians don't look out for Christians in this world, then who else uh, will? Paul strikes the, the perfect balance related to this in, uh, in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 10, where he said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And then he continues and says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, when he talks about distributing here, the word distributing means uh, literally uh, to enter into fellowship with or to make oneself a share or a partner in. In other words, Paul is telling each of us as Christians that we're to make ourselves a share or a partner in the needs of our fellow Christians to the degree uh, that we act as if those needs uh, are our very own. And so when we see a need in the life of a fellow Christian, if that need were in my life, 
uh, how would I handle that need, how would I meet it, and then to do the same with our fellow uh, Christian. I think it's interesting and very important to also note that the word distributing is, as all of these exhortations are, is in the uh, present tense. In other words, Paul is calling us here as Christians uh, to make this a present tent, tense lifestyle uh, as, uh, of sharing in this way. Now, all of this certainly has an application to the local church. The local church is to uh, look out for those that attend it and, uh, within the community and, uh, and all, so there's definitely an application there and uh, concerning everyone that attends the church. But Paul is also writing to us individually, and, and this attitude toward uh, one another and uh, in response to need is to mark each of our lives individually as Christians as well. That, that we are to be alert, uh, to take uh, note of this kind of need in, in Christians that are around us, rather than hearing about a need or uh, discovering it and then dismissing it as, well, that's, that's not my problem, uh, and then uh, rather than to seek the Lord's direction and how uh, I might be a part of meeting that need. There are other verses in the Bible that speak to this as well. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, uh, his second letter, chapter 8, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their act. Uh, their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much has nothing left over, and he who gathered little has no lack. Uh, James is pretty direct on all of this, as he is about everything he addresses. In James chapter 2, verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, uh, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Uh, even John speaks to this in 1 John chapter 3, by this we know love that he, that is uh, the Lord, laid down his life for us, that we also ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, uh, but in deed and in truth. I think that Bill MacDonald, in his excellent uh, single-volume commentary, The Believer's Bible Commentary, uh, he primes the pump, I think, in a, a wonderful way on this issue uh, when he writes, Needy saints are everywhere. Uh, the unemployed, those who've been drained by medical bills, uh, forgotten preachers and missionaries in obscure places, and senior citizens whose resources have dwindled. True body life means sharing with those who are in need. And I like that quote because it makes us aware of uh, the level of need and how personal and close the need can be to, uh, to any of us if we simply uh, be aware of it, which is part of what Paul is, is, is trying to alert us to here. Now, I'd certainly be negligent if I didn't <clears throat> round out uh, teaching related to this with a couple of 
observations and a couple of qualifications. You notice that he says that we're to distribute to the needs uh, of our fellow Christians and not to every desire that any of us might uh, have. Uh, Virtually every single one of us uh, desires something more uh, than we have and desires something uh, more than our our needs. And so uh, needs are in their own category. It talks about food, shelter, clothing, uh, and so forth. So we shouldn't feel uh, compelled uh, to help a fellow believer uh, make his yacht payment. Uh, out of a concern that he might lose it or to help him make a payment on a, uh, his luxury automobile. So you get the idea related to that. Uh, additionally, it's important to be discerning concerning our uh, distribution in terms of verifying uh, the legitimacy of the need. Unfortunately, because Christians are generous, we uh, are target uh, so often from every kind of scam, certainly every church is, uh, that comes kind of down uh, the road. And so uh, people will portray themselves as Christians in order to kind of rip uh, Christians off in this way. Uh, I could tell you stories that would fill the morning. Uh, I, I remember one of the early ones when we were down in 10th and F in the early couple of years. and. A guy came into the office and at the end of the day, like five minutes before five o'clock, and that was all by design so that we couldn't verify the legitimacy of his need. And so he came in and uh, talked about how he attended Calvary Chapel somewhere on the East Coast, uh, who were closed by now, and, uh, and that he had come out here, he'd been offered a job and he needed some steel-toed uh, boots in order to uh, get this job and would we help him? And he dropped every name of every Calvary Chapel pastor you could, uh, could imagine, and, uh, but no way to verify his story uh, at this point. And, uh, and so come to find out later, uh, talking with other pastors, that he had simply paid his way all across the country by stopping at Calvary Chapels and uh, getting the $110 or whatever it was for a a good pair, $60, a good pair of uh, steel-toed boots at that that time. And so this kind of thing, I mean, the the creativity of people uh, in in this this way. So we're forced to become uh, discerning in this regard. Unfortunately, I think many uh, television ministries, Christian television ministries, but it's not just limited to them. It's a lot of ministries that ask for money that are going to needs and and they portray them and then they're proven to be uh, frauds. Well, we don't want to not give to anyone on the basis of that, but it is important to investigate a little bit to make sure that uh, the resources are truly going to uh, Christians and others in in need, and this kind of thing—it's not some, these scams are not something that are just new to us in this this age. It's always gone on, even in the early church, and because in the early church, 
people began to take advantage of the goodwill of Christians in this regard, uh, and they pretended to be Christians in order to be fed and housed on their journeys and uh, rather than paying for food or paying for uh, an inn. And so the early church was forced to develop this kind of pastoral manual that was known as the Didache. Uh, and uh, the guidelines that were suggested in this particular regard uh, went as follows. Let every apostle who comes to you be received uh, as the Lord, uh, but he must not stay more than one day or two if it's absolutely necessary. If he stays three days, he's a false prophet. And when the prophet leaves you, let him uh, take nothing but a loaf, uh, until he reaches further lodging for the night. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. And so uh, this kind of stuff goes on endlessly, and yet Paul still makes the, the exhortation to us. And so the safest way to help other Christians in this way is, is to do it for those that are uh, around us within our sphere of influence and uh, that, that we're in relationship with in, in some way personally within a, a local church or a community. And so we just ask ourselves in the privacy of our heart here uh, th this morning uh, to ask, is this a part of, of my uh, Christian life? Am I uh, even sensitive to the needs of my fellow Christians? Or when I become aware of them and I have uh, the, uh, the means to take a little bit of weight off of them for a period of time or in some crisis that they find themselves in the middle of? Do I just dismiss it as uh, God will take care of it? Uh, or am I open to the Holy Spirit really leading me and involving me uh, in, in that way? And to just uh, pray and ask the Lord. And I speak to myself uh, supremely uh, as I would even exhort uh, you uh, to just ask God for this kind of sensitivity. And it's such an exciting way to be used by the Lord uh, when uh, people are in, in that moment of need and something comes their way. It doesn't, doesn't have to solve their entire problem, but something comes that way. Sometimes it's even beyond the money that, uh, that what means so much related to, to that, and it's never forgotten. There's something about help that comes our way in our moments when we're most vulnerable in life uh, that uh, really, really impacts and is never forgotten. He goes on in verse 13 to speak about that we're to be given to hospitality. We're to pursue and practice hospitality. The word hospitality in the original language is phileo nexia. Phileo means friend uh, or loving. Uh, xenos is a stranger. And so it's to demonstrate a care and a concern for those that uh, we don't know well and to extend care to them in, uh, in terms of, of hospitality or kindness. So the Apostle Paul, he he assumes that we're already extending hospitality uh, to those that we already know. Uh, that's his assumption in writing this. Now he exhorts us to kind of enlarge this to even strangers. When he talks about strangers here, he's not talking about kind of inviting any old stranger off of the street uh, into your home. That wouldn't be wise at all. It'd be very, very dangerous, in fact. And so what Paul is talking about here specifically is showing hospitality to a fellow Christian. 
that we may, uh, that is in need of it, and uh, that we may not know well, but, uh, but is known uh, by others. And so, uh, that we're to be a people that are known for this kind of hospitality. Now, in the ancient world, there was a great need for Christian hospitality, uh, just as there is today. Uh, in the ancient world, there was a lot of persecution going on towards Christians, and as a result of, of that persecution, there were entire masses of people moving across, uh, much like today, moving across uh, the Roman Empire. And, uh, and, and obviously, if they're fleeing under persecution, they don't have money for inns, or they'd overwhelm the resources of, of a particular city. And there was a need for uh, Christians to extend this kind of hospitality. Even in general, apart from persecution, in the ancient world, uh, inns for travelers were uh, non-existent in many villages. And here we live in the United States, and there's uh, some kind of a hotel or a motel at uh, the exit of virtually every major highway in the United States of America. But that's not the way that it was. Uh, 2,000 years ago, and, uh, and when an inn was available, uh, like today, they could be very, very expensive. They could be uh, filthy compared to somebody's home. They were all, all, very often very unsafe environments. Uh, you would have people that would go there, uh, a, a native population looking at somebody passing through, going into the inn, and they would try and take advantage of them, rip them off, steal from them, uh, and, and take advantage uh, of them. Uh, oftentimes an inn was the center for uh, any town of, for drunkenness and sexual immorality. And so it wasn't the kind of place that a Christian would be eager to stay in as a first choice. And, uh, and for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which would be a temptation. And then, uh, then you add to all of this the fact that Christians, again, were being persecuted all over uh, the Roman world. This persecution would intensify uh, following the time uh, of, of Paul. And uh, you had people who were fulfilling the Great Commission, traveling from one end of the Roman Empire to the other, taking the gospel, uh, their missionaries, pastors, leaders, and uh, uh, despite the persecution and in need of a, 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 not only a physically safe place to stay, but a spiritually safe uh, place to stay. We, uh, today, uh, when I'm invited to speak someplace else and, and I travel, um, I'd much rather stay in the home of a Christian than a hotel. Uh, hotels are like a, a black hole to me. Uh, they, they're the, they have no soul to them at all. If you work there, you own one, God bless you. Uh, it, it meets a need, but it's awful. They're just like Vegas. I mean, it, it's just, just this thing, you know. And, um, and usually when I'm traveling, I, I try to travel with someone, but it's especially true if I'm alone. It's just an awful uh, thing. So I like to stay with a Christian if I can, unless they've got a crying infant. I, do, I have to draw a line there. I do have to get some sleep, and if the baby cries through the night, that's not a, a great thing. But the Holy Spirit is on a Christian home. There's a presence there that isn't present uh, anywhere else, and certainly in any hotel I've ever been. And, uh, and so it's a spiritually safe place, and there's a peace there. You can relax there. There's fellowship with Christians, and... and uh, 
and how much more, you know, for Christians in much of the rest of the world that uh, would hear my complaining on any level about a hotel and think I'm a spoiled brat, and so I probably am. But uh, they don't even have an option of staying one place or the other, and what uh, that kind of hospitality would mean to them uh, to be invited into a home uh, of a Christian. Uh, but even there, you, you want to be, we want to be careful not to narrow uh, the sphere of our hospitality uh, to Christians alone. Jesus taught concerning hospitality. Uh, maybe not all hospitality is having someone come over and spend a night or a number of nights in our, our home. Oftentimes it's expressed in an offering of a meal or a feast or inviting people to a celebration of some kind. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, we're told, and then he said to him who invited him to this feast, he said, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Hospitality has always been a powerful, uh, it always has had, a, always has had, a, and to this day does, a powerful impact upon another person for good and certainly uh, opens doors for uh, the gospel and beginning a relationship in which someone might be led to the Lord. When he talks and uses this word given, given to hospitality, the word given literally means to pursue. In other words, Paul is saying, uh, don't wait for this opportunity to present itself to you. It's uh, the, the, uh, the opportunity or the, the, the extending of hospitality uh, to other people is something that we're to pursue, that we're to have our eyes open related uh, uh, to that opportunity. Uh, that word, the, the Greek word that's used there for pursue, it's the same Verb Paul used in his letter uh, to the church of Philippi when he said, I press, and there's the word, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul now takes this word and he applies it here uh, to hospitality. And the thought is that we shouldn't just kind of passively wait for opportunities to come to our, our way, but to pursue those, those opportunities. And that that's to mark our lives uh, as, as Christians. And so you take these last two uh, uh, exhortations of Paul here in, in verse 13, and they're important for us to hear as Christians in the year uh, 2019 in the United States of America. Because again, we're a very, very individualistic nation, and we are a very self-focused uh, nation. So exhortations like this, uh, so often we can uh, not even give a listen to them. I mean, I mean there, can, uh, there might very well be a portion of us that sit here this morning and haven't given any serious thought to anything that I've said all the way through it. It's just like we keep it in the same category we've always kept it in, and that's something someone else does. Uh, I don't do that. And, uh, and we don't realize how much our Christianity is being fashioned by the culture around us. And, and to the degree that that happens, then the, then the church is not 
uh, distinctive and powerful ways in the world in the way that God wants them to be distinctive. And these are ways that are, uh, these are distinctions that are powerful uh, for the strengthening of the body of Christ and even the advancing uh, of it. And so the importance of being reminded of these things and to realize that, no, this is what uh, authentic Christianity is to look like uh, in, in our lives in every age and in every part of, of the world. Well, Paul goes on in verse 14, and he tells us that we're to bless those who persecute us, and we're not to curse them, but we're to pray for their blessing, to which we say, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to do that as a first reaction. Again, first Thessalonians. I don't have to deal with that. Now, Jesus taught concerning how we're to respond to persecution and to cursing that is directed toward us uh, when it's directed toward us by the unsaved world. And he tells us this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, uh, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That, here's a reason, that's a reason word, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, this is to be like God. For he makes his son uh, uh, rise on uh, the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Well, all of that's very fine. But uh, here in this passage, in, in, uh, in verse 14, Paul teaches this very thing in the context of our relationship uh, to one another as Christians. Uh, that, and that's what he's stressing, our relationship with one another as Christians. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, uh, Peter brings the exact same thing up in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil, nor reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Well, someone might listen to all of this and protest, well, this exhortation of Paul, it can't really apply to uh, how we're to handle the mistreatment that we receive from a fellow Christian. A Christian would never persecute another Christian in this way. A Christian would never curse or mistreat another Christian. Uh, to which we would reply, really? Uh, are you new to all of this? <laughs> God bless you in your innocence. I wish I could still share it with you. In James chapter 5, verse 9, uh, James speaks to this issue of how it happens even within the body of Christ. He said, don't grumble against one another. Why would he say it except that it happens? And it was happening. Don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold the judges standing at the door. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus speaking. And he said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him uh, his fault between you and him alone. Uh, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. 
But if he will not hear you, take with you uh, one or more. Uh, one or, uh, take uh, with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear uh, the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Uh, in, the, uh, in the church at Corinth, which was uh, made up of, of, of a high percentage of very, very carnal, uh, flesh-dominated do, uh, uh, Christians, the hostilities had been, become so great uh, in the treatment of one Christian uh, to another that they were actually uh, taking one another to court. And Paul wrote to them, and he said in 1 Corinthians 6, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Uh, he continued and said, Now, therefore, it's already another failure for you that you go to law against one another. And so Paul is going to address a little bit later in this chapter, in verses 17 to 21, how we're to handle uh, the persecution of the world against us, this kind of persecution. Uh, but uh, here he talks about uh, the persecution that a, one Christian can mete out toward another Christian. Uh, the word uh, persecution here uh, literally means uh, to persecute, to harass, or to oppress. It, it carries the idea of one person uh, systematically organizing and leading a campaign uh, to oppress or to slander or to harass another person or another group of, of people. And unfortunately, this kind of thing goes on all of the time between Christians. Uh, when there are power struggles within, within a church, uh, so often in order for one group or one individual to gain the upper hand, uh, they'll resort to this kind of thing. This kind of thing occurs in every single church split that happens in, in any church through, through history. And it can happen on an individual level where you've got some carnal Christian gets it into their head that they're going to try and defame or destroy another Christian uh, for some reason that they've got into their mind. And uh, most often to do it through gossip or to do it through uh, slander or tail-bearing. And all of this kind of thing is absolutely awful. It, it's, it's an awful thing to experience and, and, uh, and a terrible blight upon uh, the, the name of the Lord in, in the world and even among Christians. And so how are we supposed to handle it uh, if or when it happens to us? Paul tells us that our uh, response is to be twofold. Uh, number one, he says, first, we are to bless them. And uh, sometimes we can feel, I think, even as Christians that, okay, they started this fight. I didn't start this. And because they started this, it gives me license now to engage them on the same level that, uh, that they're uh, doing to me. And so now I'm free to jump in and finish this. Uh, but we're not free to do that as Christians. So, uh, someone else, just because they're acting like a, a carnal spiritual half-wit, it doesn't give us permission uh, to do the same. 
And just because they're willing to throw away their Christian witness and Christian testimony and reputation, it doesn't mean that we should do the same as well. It's interesting and I think very important to recognize that that word bless, as Paul uses it there, the Greek word uh, for bless is uh, eulogio, and uh, we get our English word eulogy from it. And uh, the word eulogy means to speak well of. Uh, at a funeral service, there's usually a time given uh, for eulogies concerning the person that has died. And it's a time for uh, people to stand up and share remembrances. It's a time to speak well of the person who has died. Uh, I have attended and I have officiated many, many, many memorial services. Uh, through the years in my life, and I have never, ever, ever officiated a service for a perfect person. In other words, in every memorial service, it would be possible for every person to get up behind the microphone and mention all of the flaws and all of the shortcomings of the person who has died. But it's never done. Why? Because everyone knows that it would be inappropriate to do so. And so, you, for the sake of the rest of the family and the unity of the family, no one ever does that. And, and if someone did get up behind that microphone and they begin to use that opportunity uh, to get even with the deceased or to say something uh, less than speaking well uh, for the person, it would never reflect uh, so as uh, it would never reflect more badly upon the deceased that was being spoken about poorly. It would, the, the, it would reflect the most horribly upon the person who would use that kind of an occasion uh, to get even. And, and in God's eyes, even more inappropriate than that is a Christian uh, to repay persecution uh, with a curse. And if we do so, Paul is saying, it will hardly diminish the person that we uh, curse, that has cursed us, in comparison to what it will do to our witness and to our testimony by speaking out inappropriately concerning uh, the other the other person, in other words, uh, uh, give an, a eulogy concerning someone else, uh, find something good to say about the other person, and then stay out of it. Uh, deliver the eulogy, bless, find something good to say about them, and then stay out of of, of the rest of it. I read an interesting article this week in which Jay Leno, uh, I read everything, uh, I really surf the, the internet all week long, um, trying to stay hip uh, culturally, um, which you, well, you are the recipients of my hipness and my uh, 
uh, currentness week in and week out. Um, I hate to have mentioned it, because uh, then now you'll notice it every time it happens and is always happening. But I, back to Jay Leno, he, um, it was an article this week in which he was being interviewed and he was asked to kind of clear the air over, some of you might remember the very volatile circumstances that uh, surrounded him uh, becoming the host after Johnny Carson of uh, The Tonight Show and to uh, specifically address the tension that kind of resulted uh, in, in all of that between uh, him and uh, Jay Letter, uh, David Letterman, rather, and, and Conan O'Brien. And in the interview of, Le of Letterman, and some of you followed this a little bit, so you realize how tense all of it got. But of Letterman now, all these years later, Leno said, we don't hate each other. The media makes a big thing about it. I'm a huge fan. You know, when I started, Letterman was a great wordsmith. He would put things together, but he's kind of a hesitant performer. And I was a very loud, boisterous performer, but I wasn't that good a writer. And so I'd watch him and go, oh, man, how do you put those sentences together? And he'd watch me and go, how can you be so confident on the stage? So I, I think we uh, sort of took from each other uh, a little uh, bit. And so here is the interviewer uh, probing uh, for uh, some dirt about that section of the history. And what did Leno do? He gave him a eulogy. There probably was a lot of dirt. But he gave him a eulogy instead. In, in the same interview, Leno was asked about uh, the shock jock uh, Howard Stern and uh, who apparently really went after Leno uh, during that time. And, uh, and, and, he, and he, Leno said that he never got into a feud with Stern over it because, quote, he said, you're not going to win a feud with Howard. Uh, I don't respond. Never explain. Never complain. That's my thing. Howard is good. If you start a f that feud, boom, you're down. So if you just let it roll, and it's fine. I think he's really talented. He's a good interviewer. I mean, he gets things out of people. And he could have said a lot of things in his own defense and, and said a lot of things about Stern. But what did he do? He delivered a eulogy. And that brings uh, to mind, you know, his desire not to enter into a fight with, with uh, Stern. And, uh, and out of our uh, application of not entering into a fight with someone who has uh, become their own kind of shock jock within the body of Christ and trying uh, to destroy uh, us. There's an old saying, a bulldog can whip a skunk any day of the week, but sometimes even a dog realizes it's not worth the stink. And that's the truth of the matter. You don't go down, to, it's just not worth the fight. And the eulogy allows us to escape uh, the fight. And so here you've got Jay Leno, and uh, he, do, he does exactly what Paul calls us as Christians to do. And that is, and Jay Leno does it for uh, lower motives. He does it just for his own, he, he doesn't need the aggravation. He does it just for his own uh, peace and quiet. And, uh, and here Paul is calling us uh, to do the same thing and, and, uh, and willing to do it uh, for the sake of our own Christian witness.
and for the reputation uh, of, of Christ and for uh, the, uh, not to divide and not to split uh, the family. Uh, because everyone, I don't care if it's a pagan and I don't care if it's a Christian, everyone likes to gang around and watch a fight. They love it. And, uh, and then to, re to respond to that fight and, and give them a eulogy uh, in that way we are to leave them uh, disappointed. It is a very, very rare person. I don't say that they don't exist, but it is a very rare person in life that you can't find something uh, to commend concerning them, to find something to, to bless and then to leave it alone. He tells us, second, we're not only to bless, but we're also not to curse them. We're not to call uh, on God now, curse them for what they're uh, doing to me, or judge them for what they're uh, doing uh, to me. And why does Paul tell us that we don't need to call on God uh, to judge or uh, them or to curse or to chasten them for the simple reason is there's no need to. Because uh, God, it, without repentance, it's already happening. Uh, you just can't see it yet. In Proverbs chapter 6, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running uh, to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Just stay out of it. Don't curse, repay with a blessing, and let God do what He is uniquely qualified to deal with in, in these kind of situations. Stay out of it, don't come down to that level, and let God bring forth your righteousness. There's an old saying, and it's an important one to have sown within each of our hearts. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. Always. Always. He may take more time than we would like Him to do, but He always uh, does it. In a similar kind of place in life, uh, David wrote in Psalm 37, he said, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness uh, as the light and your justice as the noonday. And so to just stay out of it, uh, to repay blessing uh, for cursing, and uh, you just let it play out, and ultimately, everyone will be exposed for what they are in the conflict. And God says He will make it as clear as the sun is in the sky in noonday. These kind of people always expose themselves, and they always get their comeuppance. And to steer clear of it and move on with your life and relationship with the Lord. Now, one final thing. And that is that the word curse here, uh, again, like all of these exhortations, is in the present tense. In other words, Paul is forbidding uh, not only that we're to never engage in this, but he is actually forbidding most specifically the continuation of uh, this as it might be present in, in any of our lives. It is literally stop cursing. 
And it's a great word for however many of us might be in that place this morning where other Christians are treating you in a way that is completely destroying, though they're oblivious to it. Their own witness and their own testimony horribly misrepresenting the body of Christ and, and Jesus himself. And, uh, and here is that temptation to come down uh, to their level. But it, it, all, all you'll do is, is harm your own witness and your own testimony. So it's a great word to any of us that are dealing with this currently in our lives. And so we close here this morning and these, these just these good, solid reminders of what the Christian life is. And the things that aren't that popular to talk about, really, or that... Uh, you know, if we weren't going straight through a book, this, these are the passages that would never get taught if we were doing just gleanings from the book of Romans. Uh, but these are important things to, that are, are, are to be a part of each of our lives as, as Christians. And so once again, verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Let's stand together now and we'll close. Father, we are thankful for uh, the fine brushes that you use through your word to fashion every single part of our, our Christian life. And we thank you, Lord, for these encouragements, these exhortations to us this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in this world that we live in this flesh that we deal with every day, Lord, all of these things around us and within us that uh, want uh, to drive us to fashioning our own Christianity uh, after the culture and after our own flesh. And we pray that you would help that to not happen to us, Lord, but that the Christianity that is described in your word here would be a part of our daily life and our Christian experience. And we ask for a work of your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives, Lord, to continue to enlarge these things within our lives. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.